0: On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space, the crossroad of cultures. This is something which I find very interesting. Not a culture which is monolithic, but how something can be enriched by the other experiences of other cultures.
1: In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. All right, lady, today, not only do we have a special guest here in Cultivating Her Space, but we are making history. This is the first time in cultivating her space history that we are bridging the gap between the United States where we're located and the motherland. So this is a very special interview for us and hopefully the first of many more international connections. Today we have the pleasure of speaking to Marianne Loom Martin, a lawyer turned world renowned boutique hotel owner. Marianne owns and operates an eight-acre boutique hotel called the Janan Tomsna in Marrakesh, Morocco, which boasts 24 rooms, five swimming pools, and a clay surface tennis court. Oh, my goodness. It sounds amazing. Guests that stay at her hotel get the experience of Morocco, the traditions, the culture, all that good stuff. And her clientele include the likes of Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise. Giorgio Armani, and many more. Marianne's first degree may have been in law, but her heart has always been in architecture design and the arts. Marianne is the only Black female hotel owner in Morocco, and there's so much more that we could say about her, but we'll let you hear from this piring Black woman yourself. Marianne, welcome to Cultivating Her Space.
0: Hello. Hello, ladies. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this.
1: Of course. We're so excited.
2: Yes, we cannot wait to dive into this interview. And so we're going to start with our quote of the day. And Marianne, this quote will probably sound familiar to you because as we were doing our research, we were reading many articles about you and this quote just stood out to us. So Everything that enables people to move ahead in life begins with their ability to imagine something different, a better world for themselves. So Marianne, that is one of your quotes from one of your interviews over the last couple of years. And so I'm gonna read it one more time so that the folks can really catch this. Everything that enables people to move ahead in life Begins with their ability to imagine something different, a better world for themselves. So, Marianne, when you hear your words being reflected back to you, what comes up for you?
0: Well, you know, it is true that when I I speak, I never think about it's going to stay as a quote, (laughs) you know, but this totally, totally explains and expresses. What I believe in is that everything starts with the power of imagination, and everything starts with the feeling that things can be possible. And uh, without imagination, you stay at the level of the day-to-day life. And even if I'm lucky enough to having had a very interesting childhood and very interesting life where I was not struggling on major issues. It is true that when you want to develop your life and evolve to another level in whatever field, it starts with thinking, this is possible and this is what I'm going to do.
1: That is so powerful and so true. I think many of us have heard that quote that says, where the mind goes, the body follows. So it all starts with the mental. That is so beautiful. Hey lady, it's Terry here. Dom and I want to take a moment to thank you for choosing to listen to our podcast. We love you for real. And we want to give you a chance to learn more about what's important to us. So tell us what you think about this.
2: Imagine a world where you have a chance to get featured on the cultivating her space podcast and share your business brand or perspective with millions around the globe. Imagine joining our monthly virtual video check-ins where you can connect with like-minded Black women like you and share your ideas and episode suggestions with Terry and I. Now I want you to imagine a world where you're in the exclusive Cultivating Her Space Sanctuary Slack channel and throughout your day and week, you are conversing with us about what's happening in your
1: life and sharing funny gifts and your personal wins. How does that sound? Hopefully this is up your alley, lady, because we are taking things to the next level this year and we're doubling down on investing in our community. That means you. Yay! We want to meet you, connect with you, and create communities of genuine women who love on Black women and push our culture and movement forward. We launched this podcast in 2019 and to date, we have not missed a week. We've been great stewards of our platform all while working full time and navigating our own ups and downs. We release fresh new content every single Friday like clockwork, and we have hundreds of valuable episodes and workshops that can really help you up-level your life. So if you love our mission or you've gotten value from us, we invite you to give back and help us push this community effort forward. Visit herspacepodcast.com and click Patreon. You can learn more about our goals and exclusive offerings on Patreon, and we highly highly encourage you to join the Sister Frontier so that you can get some one-on-one time with us. We also have an option for you to donate on a one-time basis if that meets your needs. Again, herspacepodcast.com and you can click that link that says Patreon. All right, lady, we'll hop right back into the conversation. Now, Marianne, can you tell us what is your origin story? How did you become the woman you are today? And I know that's probably a loaded question, so feel free to take us down the journey however you see fit.
0: So, I have to pay tribute to my ancestors, to my female ancestors in particular. I had an amazing mother and an amazing grandmother coming from an amazing father and grandfather, my grandmother. And I think that. I come from a family where there has always been Black people in a position where they were the only one for generations. They were the only one and they were excelling in what they were doing. So I would say that, you know, when people tell me, oh, it's so incredible what you do, I said, no. I was born free. What was incredible is what they did before, which led me to where I am now, because the minimum that I can do is to think about how tough it has been for other people before and consider whatever energy, whatever work I put into, I am starting with a position some did not start from, you know? So the story, I would say, so my father's from Senegal, but he's his friend, his friend, she lives in France. He's the, he's not, was 99 in April, last April. He's the Longest living member of Paris Bar. He's a lawyer like everyone in our family. My mother passed. She was a lawyer too, but she passed, a, unfortunately, 28 years ago. Way too young. from from She passed from cancer. So she was West Indian from Guadeloupe, which is France. You know, Guadeloupe and Martinique. But her family has been in France since before the First World War because her grandfather was a congressman of Guadeloupe sitting in in Congress in Paris. And he was also a lawyer and he was between his constituency in Guadeloupe and sitting in France uh, in Congress. On her side, everyone has been a lawyer, the fourth generation. And it started from the moment our ancestor was freed. In one generation, his son was elected to French Congress and became a lawyer. So I would say what was structuring my life and my childhood was the fact that my very intelligent mother always treated me as an adult and not as a baby. I'm the oldest of three. And so when she got, she met my father in law school in Paris, he was teach he was While he was doing his doctorate, he was teaching, and she was a student. It was before me too, of course, because a professor could fall in love with a student. Well, they ended up getting married, you know. And then she became a lawyer, and they moved to Ivory Coast, where my father had started a, a law firm. I was born there, but I'm not from there. And in the 60s, the African countries became independent. And my father, who had a very successful law firm, was asked by both the government of Senegal and and of Ivory Coast, where he was working, to join the foreign affairs. And he chose Senegal because he, he was genetically from there and had a Senegalese name, even though he had not spent so much of his childhood there. And then our life totally changed. Well, first of all, he said, look, I'm very happy with my work and I will be a diplomat as long as I feel like it, but I might go back to my law firm one day. So he became, after training at the French embassy in London where we lived, I was a young child, he became the ambassador of Senegal in Ghana, which was a very important country because of the charisma of Kwame Nkrumah. Who was the most charismatic leader worldwide of the new independences, whether it was in Asia, or in uh, Latin America, or in Africa. He was really a very charismatic leader. And then he was the ambassador in Moscow. And I grew up in communist Russia, which totally, totally structured my way of thinking. And then he was the ambassador in London. And then he decided to go back to being a lawyer. And he moved. we moved to Paris and he started his law from there. So when I was a child, between the age of seven to 10, we lived in Moscow. And this has totally changed. I think it has totally structured who I am and who ha- I have been since. Because I had three lives. I had the life of a child of a diplomat. I mean, Communist Russia had nothing. I mean, people were eating potatoes and cabbage and some sausage. The diplomats had more things, but still we had to import fresh food from Germany, you know, like vegetables and things like that. And so I had the life of a diplomatic child. I had the life of going back to my grandparents in Paris and discovering the abundance of the Western world. And I had, my mother was obsessed with the fact that she didn't want me to grow in the bubble of diplomatic kids who are just very often like babies going from one place to the other and not connected to the world and the country they live in. And so she had organized that On the weekend, I was a member of the Communist Youth Party because you had, in all the neighborhoods, there were communist centers, which would call House of Pioneers, the pioneers of the revolution. So, of course, I was the only black kid there, but I spoke Russian and I had the uniform every weekend. It was a brown uniform with a little beret and a little red scarf and the brooch with Lenin marks and angles. And I was taking balalaika class and I was with Russian kids. And she had also organized that at the embassy, there was a room dedicated to a little school. So after the French diplomatic school, when I would come back, there would be Russian kids also coming to to play and work with me. So I had this, I would say, understanding of what culture means when you are coming from different places and for three years I was really living three parallel worlds and I think this is what has allowed me to understand that everything is possible as long as your mind is strong. It was really really hard over uh, then. I'll give you an example which I think It's a very, it's an anecdote, but it shows how people can survive when they are in such an oppressive situation. Russian people were not allowed to listen to foreign music because it was, you know, Western world, you know, so Beatles, Rolling Stones, this was not allowed. It was only, uh, of course, as foreigners, we could do what we want, but Russian people are only allowed to listen to classical music to Russian popular music, and to Cuban music, because Cuba was communist. But Cuban music is not at all their culture, you know. So I was taking piano classes, and I had this wonderful Russian woman who was my my piano teacher, and twice a week my mother would take me to her apartment, and the windows would always be wide open and salsa music was blasting in the whole neighborhood. And my mother would take me to her, the floor where she was and they would always giggle, giggle, giggle before she would stop the music and I would start my class. And I remember that after a while I asked my mother, what's so funny, you know? And she told me because, you know, she's listening to Puerto Rican music but the communists cannot see the difference. And you have to, and she told me, you have to learn that sometimes you are in something which seems so oppressive, but within yourself, you can find some freedom to, to cope with a situation, you know? So I grew up, you know, in these worlds of very powerful people, powerful minds, And then I would go to see my grandmother whose life had been extraordinary and at the age of 20, she had the front cover of all the newspapers in France and she spoke in Congress in front of 600 old men and she obtained what she was asking for and this was in 1919 that she had the front cover of all the, ma- the newspapers. So I think that whatever I do seems just like off. Oh, well, that's the minimum I can do, let's say. <laughs> That's it. it. Makes yeah. sense. So I hope I haven't been too yeah. long to answer to your question. And then I kept on traveling because, in fact, being at the crossroad of so many cultures constantly, you know, so Senegal without sleep. Can you imagine that I was a daughter of the Senegalese ambassador? I had never been to Senegal until the age of 15. And by then my father was back in, in law. People would ask me, so how is your country? And I would say, I don't know. <laughs> and and <laughs> my parents were saying, look. You have all the time to go to Senegal. Let's explore the regions where we are for the moment. So while we were in Russia, we traveled a lot. And also, you know, the general thing was always about curiosity. Things are possible. We have access to things. It's just a matter of deciding yourself how hard you want things and how much you want to work. And so when I, after when we moved back to to France, You know, I wanted to become an architect since I was a child, because I believe that architecture is the most interesting expression of the culture of a place through its history and combining modern times and secular culture. So I finished high school very young, I mean, at 16 instead of 18, and I went straight to architecture school, École des Beaux-Arts de Paris. And unfortunately... The French system is so rigid that even though I had very good grades in everything which mattered, which was architecture and drawings and creativity, to get into third year, you needed minor credits in math, physics, and chemistry, and I'm really bad there. So I couldn't go to, I couldn't continue. The the studies are six, seven years, and I only did the first two. So I went to law school and much later became a lawyer and... The fact that I was always passionate about culture, the crossroad of cultures. This is something which I find very interesting, not a culture which is monolithic, but how something can be enriched by the other experiences of other cultures, because this is what we are ourselves, being from so many different origins and at the same time having traveled a lot. So I was a lawyer in France and then I had the opportunity to discover Marrakesh and and to start doing my own project and be my own architects. And this is how one thing led to another. And here I am being an atelier in the places I designed from A to Z. Wow. Your story (laughs) is so amazing. Oh, thank you.
2: Oh, so many questions are coming up for me now as I'm As I was listening to your your amazing story. And so I think the first question that comes up for me is you have such a cultured, well traveled origin story. And when you think about that and think about the experiences that you've had throughout your childhood, what would you say is probably the biggest influence? on
0: how you exist in the world right now? You know, one of the, I would say, biggest influence is wanting to do things. The influence, I feel the influence of my ancestors all the time. And I didn't tell you all the stories because it's a real book. I think this is feeling what I'm the product of Is something which is motivating me every day but it is something you see i have a brother and a sister they don't they don't think like me you know it's something that i feel very it's maybe because i'm the oldest and i have the influence of my my mother being so into oh you know something very important when when from the moment we were living in moscow she would wake me every day saying now open your eyes, open your ears, and remember everything. So it was this sense of you are in the middle of an extraordinary experience and you have to be a sponge and remember everything. And so it has really structured my life. And I think that what is the biggest motivation now is that, you see, for example, my business has been entirely white until about four years ago. So my hotel was very successful, but I never had anybody looking like me. And then I had started having a story in in essence, and another one in ebony. And then it changed entirely, and I started having a hotel which is mixed, and it has. I always wanted, you know. There's a, if I don't know if people believe in this or not, but people tell me there's a special energy in this place where i am and i've noticed that people always come here and say that it's a transformational experience what the content of what we offer in our place so we are developing more and more retreats and retreats led by ladies like you where we do creative writing retreats we do wellness retreats now we're working with someone who wants to do mental health retreat and she decided that she was here when tennessee and florida were talking about suppressing black history from their books you know she's an african american woman very connected to the world of psychology and psychiatry and she has not, she's not organ, she was telling me i need all the university professors and the practitioners looking like me to have a space a safe space where they can Relax and exchange and network among themselves because we are exhausted, and so she was here when was it three months ago, and she has booked and she's organizing a fascinating retreat next uh, beginning of next year and this is what I think now is my purpose is to use this tool which has de facto become a cultural space rooted into hospitality, but I'm not there to sell room nights i'm really there to create amazing experience, which are going to enrich people, which are going to make them feel there was a before and after I, li- I lived and shared this experience. I'll give you another example. We do creative writing workshops. And the one in January, we subsidized, sponsored six HBCU students who could not have come otherwise, you know? And one of them was coming from Morehouse, and he had never left Georgia. He had never taken a plane. For two days, he was was a bit in a panic attack because it's such a different space from what he's used to to be in. And he had travel, and we plunge him in the heart of the old Medina of Marrakesh and everything. And at the end, of, and, and then after the two two days, he felt well, uh, very good. And at the end of the retreat, we interview people and we record it with those who accept. And he said in his interview that this trip had changed the trajectory of his life. And it was so important for me to see that this is a tool that we have. It's not a hotel. It's a tool to help people to go further
1: in their own path. That is so beautiful. I'm with you, Dom. So many things are coming up for me, Marianne, as you're speaking. And I thought about what you said your mother shared with you when you when you woke up, something along the lines of, you know, listen, open your ears, remember everything. And what I'm gaining from you, Marianne, is that I know for a lot of us African Americans, we don't really have the opportunity, especially people that came from like where I came from, we don't have the opportunity to travel, to get exposure to different cultures. But it sounds to me like seeing some world and getting exposure to things and listening and just opening your opening your heart, your ears and your eyes to everything is so important and can be so impactful. And I love that you also said that it's not a hotel, it's a tool, so powerful. I'd love to know what's required of you to run your business in the way that you do it? Because it sounds like you're very intentional. It's not just a business, it is a tool, it's your purpose, it's your destiny. What's required of you and what is a day in the life of Marianne Lou Martin look like these days?
0: <laughs> well, I'm working on various cultural events. So when I woke up, I woke up, I wake up quite, you know, early, like 6.30, but I work in bed for about two hours. So I was writing text about the, you know, I w- that, that has to go on decks, to pitch some sponsors for two events I'm working on. And then after that, I had to super, to let, look at all the quotes that is going out from the booking office to see if I... Because I vet a lot of things. Some they do and they can send, and some I tell them, I don't want you to send it before I, I check it. So it takes me 30 seconds per email, but I was checking a lot of things. And then I am working on my costume because we're going to have a fabulous party here. My daughter is going to be 30 and she has friends flying in from all over. And we're going to have a, she has a costume party on the theme. What did she say? Heroes and gods through history. And she wrote to her friends that since they've been her heroes and gods, she wants them to dress as such to come to the Marrakesh event. So I I to be seriously costumed. So I was doing a little, some little sketches about that. And then I went to, to lunch, to have lunch with a friend who's extremely creative because we have a, a project in common. And then suddenly I realized that I was going to be late for my podcast. So I rushed back home and <laughs> A day in my life. And then after this podcast, I'm going to go back to writing the decks. You know, what I'm fascinated about is constantly creating a link between African culture and our community in the U.S. And so one of the things I'm working on is creating, I don't know if you heard of a man called Andre Leon Talley, who was a man from North Carolina, very, very tall who was the only male ever to be the creative director of American Vogue. And he was a black man from North Carolina and a fascinating man. And I'm working with some people to create a a diaspora homage to him, gathering five extremely successful African women, very connected to the U.S., some having an American passport, and who have been very successful in the creative world. And we're working on creating an amazing collection, Defile, fashion collection in the uh, last days of October, which would be the, the link between Africa and America in terms of creativity and fashion.
1: Hey girl, hey. We hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as we are, but let's be real. It costs money to podcast, and we got bills to pay. So enjoy this commercial break as you process what we've been talking about. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you're also supporting us.
2: I love this time of year. When the weather gets warmer, I get to see my friends and family a lot more often. Whether we're meeting up for birthday parties or barbecues or spontaneous get-togethers, I always want to have great wine on hand to share. That's why I love First Leaf. As America's most personalized wine company, First Leaf takes the guesswork out of wine selection. You just answer some quick questions about your likes and dislikes, and their experts will curate a selection of award-winning wines tailored to your taste, like refreshing rosés, fun sparkling wines, or spring-friendly reds. You get to choose how often you receive your wine, and every selection is backed by First Leaf's 100% satisfaction guarantee.
1: And because First Leaf cuts out the middleman and works directly with some of the world's foremost wine producers, you get quality wines at prices much lower than you pay at the store. Plus, if you have any questions about your wines, like what to pair them with, First Leaf's certified wine concierge team is there to offer expert advice. I always have a hard time picking out wine, so I loved having their experts choose my selections based on the survey I completed. And they shipped it right to my door. I love sharing great wine with my friends and family, and I know you will too. So give First Leaf a try. Head over to tryfirstleaf.com slash herspace to sign up and save 50% on your first six bottles plus free shipping. That's T R Y F I R S T leaf.com slash herspace to save 50% on your first six bottles plus free shipping. Try firstleaf.com slash herspace.
0: Yeah, so this is wow. taking my time. And the woman who with whom I had the idea to do this, she's the only one who has an, a piece of couture in the Smithsonian Museum as part of their permanent collection, uh, the Museum of National African Art. And she also had designed two extraordinary capes for this man, André Leontale. She's mentioned in his his memoir. And his prized possessions recently were auctioned at Christie's. And this lady who's originally from Nigeria, her, her work was also auctioned at Christie's. And I just got yesterday, this is uh, what, that, what my, my day looks like. I contacted an extraordinary girl who came here once because there was a foundation. I don't know if the foundation still exists, which our purpose was to create a network of underprivileged children, who I mean, students, who had gone to the, be- to the Ivy League schools Because, you know, a lot of the kids going there, when they come out, their dad is one phone call away from the president of banks and companies. And it's very easy for them to get internships or jobs. And then you have these other kids who have come and their family know nobody and they know nobody. So the purpose of this foundation was to create a network among themselves. And they had taken over our property because they knew that it was very much part of our own values. And there were many of them. We had packed, created dorms. There were three, four per room. And I stayed in touch with an incredible woman who had gone Princeton and Wharton, And she has a very successful shop shoe collection. And she has elevated the uh, crafts of Senegalese craftsmen. She's selling all over. Her products are Beyonce approved. And originally she's from Cameroon. Her parents were migrants from Cameroon. And she's going she, when I told her, look, I need you. I'm gathering amazing black women, each in a different discipline. But we're going to create this diaspora homage to this man who was extraordinary. Can you imagine a man from North Carolina being working with Dana Freeland and being the most connected men in fashion for years, you know? And so so she's super excited and and she's joining. And I also have other extraordinary women joining. And this is something that I feel very passionate about. And a loss for words. (laughs) Because I am so
2: amazed at all that you are doing. And... All of the connections that you are making. And I love this idea of connecting the motherland, Africa, to the U.S. And and so when I think about all that you're doing and all that it takes, as a mental health professional, like one of the things that comes up for me as I'm listening to you is what do you do to take care of yourself? Because you are constantly pouring into As I listen to you talk about your day, you are constantly pouring into everyone else. So what do you do to take care of you?
0: Well, I, it's like my husband or daughter daily question <laughs> to me. <laughs> well, I should. Uh, last year, I did well. I took three weeks to go to the French Alps and do a kind of spa holiday. But you know I know I should I should take better care of myself exercise lose weight all of that that's for sure I'm very conscious of that especially because I live in a very healthy family where my husband daughter and son are taking very good care of themselves but I'm so passionate about what I do and I'm so convinced that if I don't do it who is going to do it because I'm in the crossroad of so many networks and I have a different vision on things because I'm a plural. I have different identities, you know, I'm French and I'm Caribbean and I'm Senegalese and I live there and there's three religions in our family, uh, you know? And so if I don't, I'm in a position where I feel it's my duty to make things move forward. You know, it's beyond a mission because you can have a mission. You can have a mission, but for me, it's, it's a duty because I know that I can do things in a way that other people would not do it, but once it's done, they are very happy to participate. So uh, how do I take good care of myself? I think I take good care of my mind because it needs to be constantly busy, but I admit that I don't take enough care of my body. I think.
1: We appreciate your honesty and transparency, Miriam, because we are all work in progress, I think, when it comes to that, right? But I will say, after just hearing the conversation and what you shared, it sounds like mindset is so important. Wherever we want to go in life, focusing on the mindset, even before we get our body to get in motion to where we want to go, getting this together, it sounds like exposure, exposure to the world, exposure to culture, that's also really important. Just having exposure to get your creative juices flowing. I would also say passion is what I hear from you. Like you talked about, I know before we started recording, you said, oh, it's not, usual that my day ends before midnight, but you sounded excited about that. Like you're working in bed for two hours before you really get up. So passion, having passion, but also it sounds like legacy is important to you. So ensuring that cultures progress and stories are remembered and honored. So when it comes to legacy, Marianne, how do you want to be remembered? We often talk about legacy on the podcast and the legacy we live on, we leave on the world. How do you want to be remembered? And how do you want people to think about you and talk about you? when your time to transition comes on?
0: I hope that I will have done my main project, which is not done yet, and be remembered for that. So with the coming of people looking like me in my hotel, and realizing how they just are expressing sighs of relief that they know there will be no microaggressions here, that people, they will be seen, they will be well taken care of. I started studying, you know, what's going on? And then I discovered that the black dollar between 2018 and 2019 had spent on the leisure travel market. I think it went from $68 billion to $129. So what it means is that, and then you know it was stopped by the pandemic, but it's gone full blast again. What it means is that even though you know America continues to be so full of racial issues, and even though the fact that a lot of microaggressions are continuing when people travel in other countries. There's still $129 billion going to enrich people and so many of them don't like us. So my main concern, even though I'm not, I am not thinking that I'll ever be able to tackle that at this scale, is that I'm working on creating a black-owned boutique hotel brand, which would be totally connected to our culture which will be like living a Harlem renaissance thing because there's always two or three creatives in residence whether they're writers, painters, musicians they focus we give them room and board they focus on their work but at drinks and dinner time they mingle with the guests who are interested of course so the the hotels under this brand will have a permanent sense of being in a cultural salon where you are meeting extraordinary people. But, you know, I'm not inventing anything. This is how our place uh, has been operating all the time because we attract really interesting people. But when I see, for example, Danish or Norwegian clients dancing on burner Boy from Nigeria, when I see, you know, how people bond and connect around the pool here, I realize that there are tons of people for whom black culture is attractive like a magnet, and when I see that people looking like us continue to enrich people who don't like us there's an issue you know when I hear that recently there was a, a group of African American women traveling, they were not staying here because they needed to be in a big hotel, there were a hundred people. when they told me the, the level of Microaggression they faced—it really enraged me. So this, my my, if I I want to be remembered, is I want to be the one starting this black-owned boutique hotel brand, celebrating our culture, the warmth of black hospitality. It is by us; we own the narrative, but it is for all, and it has nothing to do with you know if you. If you do some research, you find out there's just some might be some successful African American entrepreneur who own shares of a big group, a hotel by an airport belonging to one of the big hotel group. but this is not black hospitality. It's just business. No one knows that it's there's a black uh, shareholder. What I want to do is create these this brand with outposts around the world. And starting with expanding Morocco, where people, if they book that, they know that they will live a different experience and that it's black owned and that it's supporting the community. And that it is giving jobs and opportunities to all these young black kids going to university and not sometimes finding any internships that there's, I want to create this brand where people know that it was done to give them opportunities. Yes.
2: Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much. So that legacy is just amazing, just beautiful. And I wish more of us would think along those lines. Right. And I know that our listeners, because you mentioned the black travel dollar. I know that our listeners spend their coins on travel. Yes. So can you tell our listeners exactly where they can find you and how they
0: can book accommodations with you? So for the moment, I'm in Marrakesh. My hotel is called Jnan Tomsna, J-N-A-N-E, further Thompson. Something else I will say is that the brand will be called Jnan Hotel, J-N-A-N, because Jnan means garden of paradise in Arabic, and our ancestors were taken away from their gardens to go and enrich other people's gardens. And us now, we own our gardens again. And we have this proud connection to nature again, and we invite the whole world to share our gardens. So this is why I want the brand to be called Jnan. Now, for the moment, I have my place, but I'm I'm raising I'm working on raising capital to develop the brand. So I'm not there yet. But when you were talking about what you I would like my legacy to be, I would like my legacy to be when I hope transition in many years, because I still have a lot to do, I'm not ready. I wanted to be remem- I want to be remembered as the person who did that.
1: Well, Marianne, we honor you and we want to ag- be in agreement with you that this is going to be many years down the line When we tra- we all have too much work to do. We got to be here. We have too much work to do. But Marianne, we honor you. We celebrate you. We appreciate you for all that you've done for our community, for the people that are in your local community. And we just want to make sure that people can tap into you and your, your boutique hotel. So how can they connect with you and follow you as you raise capital and, and build these goals?
0: So they can, they can follow us on Instagram, J-N-A-N-E-T-A-M-S-N-A. They can follow the, us on Instagram and they can send me private message and then we can start discussing and I will give them my email and we can, you know, because I mean, I honestly think that everybody should chip in this because everybody will get a return on that. Yeah. And the more we are putting together capital to develop that, it's, you know, it's not going to put money on the stock market where they don't care about you. You know, yes. it's investing in ourselves. It's investing in creating spaces which are going to help develop black wealth, you know? Yes. So the more, the merrier.
1: We received that. Amen. Marianne, we appreciate you for your time and your energy. And we will speak this into existence. We will be meeting you one day in person in Morocco. Oh, you're
2: we are speaking
1: it. Yes, we are going to, we're, 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 we're sold. We have to, we have to come visit. So we appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time, Marianne, and we will definitely be in touch.
0: Wonderful.
2: Hey, lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Are you currently a resident of the state of California and contemplating starting your therapy journey? Well, if so, please reach out to me at drdominiquebroussard.com that's d-r-d-o-m-i-n-i-q-u-e-b-r-o-u-s-s-a-r-d.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for joining us today. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider.
1: If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website at herspacepodcast.com and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me, I am worthy of what I desire, period.